Good morning. Welcome to worship. We're glad that you're here this morning with us. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs. It's actually a song that we did with the choir uh, a year or so back, and uh, but I like it so much uh, that I just thought we'd sing it this morning. Um, so uh, I tell you, why don't you stand and just see if you can uh, see if you can grab onto it and sing it along with us. Here we go. This is called No More. inside this cell I'm a prisoner of the choices I regret but the debts already paid and the bails already made so why do I keep coming back again God I'm done with holding on to sins that you have saved me from I'm ready to let go of who I've been. No more guilt, no more shame, no more thinking I can't change. Who I was is dead and gone, who I am is moving on. Saved by grace, held by love, because of what your cross has done. You've gone away the prison doors, hallelujah God. You say that I am yours forever You call me saint instead of sinner No more. 
welcome to First Baptist Church. We're so glad that you're here on this Labor Day weekend. I know yesterday was great. I had a full day of college football. Can I get an amen? <laughs> That's always good, and then it's always great to wake up the next day, come and worship. Doesn't hurt Tennessee spiked Virginia. No, that doesn't hurt at all, Todd. That's a good thing. So, um, no, love you, Todd. Yeah, okay, all right. So anyway, um, we're glad you're here for worship, and uh, we want to get to know you if you're a guest, and so one of the ways that we do that is through that guest card that's in front of you there. It's a white card. If you could take that out, fill it out for us. After the service, you go left to the Welcome Center. Tim will be there. He's got a small gift for you coming and being a part of our worship this morning. So I want to take a moment to pray as we settle our hearts and focus on why we're here, and uh, let's take a moment to pray together. So Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, God. Lord, we can repeat that statement all day long. Lord, today as we uh, worship together, we want to take a moment to put our mind's attention and our heart's affection on you and you alone, God. We thank you for this privilege and opportunity to gather together as the body here at First Baptist. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Characteristics and, and God is no different in the Bible. He has many names, you know, Yahweh and Jehovah, and, uh, and and some of those you think you hear Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, which is the God, uh, the banner. God is our banner. Jehovah Rapha, which is uh, God that heals, and then there's Jehovah Jireh, which is the God uh, who who fills my needs. The uh, the provider. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word. God provider. And this is a song that, uh, that was written by uh, Maverick City uh, called Jaira. So as you sing this song and you're thinking, what are we singing, Jaira? We're singing God you who provides, the God who provides the things that we need. Isn't that great? Oh, God is everything. He's everything to us. But we're just going to take a moment here and remember that he provides. So as you get the hang of it, you join in and sing with us called Jaira.
When the sun goes down Don't wanna forget how I feel right now Gyra, Gyra, you are enough characteristics. Lord, help us to love you for all that you are and all that you do. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to First Baptist Church again. My name is Tim Hensick. I'm the student pastor here. Again, just want to keep everybody informed. We're in the process of waiting for our new lead pastor to get here, Brady Martin. We'll be here. He'll start in the office on Monday, September 18th, and be in the pulpit for the first time on September 24th. So I covered last week and this week, and Jake will cover uh, the next two weeks then before Brady gets here. This morning, I'd like us to jump into the book of Ephesians. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, We're going to spend our morning in this one passage. I want us to look at Ephesians chapter 1. And in this passage, we see it teaches us 
about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings that God has given us. These are qualities that we'll focus on this morning that describe our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ. And so I want us to take uh, the time here this morning to dig into the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Paul begins several of his letters with a prayer, a blessing. Um, sometimes they're called a thanksgiving that you'll see. It's common. He, he began uh, not only Ephesians this way, but 1 Corinthians and Philippians. And Colossians has one of these. First and Second Thessalonians has uh, kind of a, um, a thanksgiving or a prayer at the beginning of the book. And so uh, that's the pattern that Paul uses in several of his letters. And in Ephesians, we see that uh, verses 3 through 14, that's the passage we're going to focus on today, is a, is a thanksgiving, a, a praise, the, a blessing to God. And then the end of the chapter, verses 15 through 20, are a, not only a thanksgiving, but an intercessory prayer that Paul prays over the church, over the people in the town of Ephesus. And so uh, this, is, this is commonly known as a doxology. And so a doxology uh, comes from the combination of two Greek words, a doxa meaning glory, and the, the logos meaning speaking. And so what this chapter is about is Paul uh, giving an expression of praise, an expression of glory to God for who he is, for what he's done. Um, it's a, a declaration of praise uh, for who God is. And so Paul wants us, uh, he uses this opening not only to teach us theology, but then in turn uh, cause it to lead us to praise of God for who He is. And so let's begin. Um, you know, I want to use this time this morning in Ephesians. We're going to see six spiritual blessings uh, that help to define our identity in Christ and who we are as Christ followers. But we're going to begin in, in chapter 1, verse 1. We'll read the, uh, the intro as well. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God... It says, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul, this introductory, it's, it's similar to many others. These first two verses just establish that the Apostle Paul is the author of this letter and that it is written to the saints, the faithful saints in the church in Ephesus. And so it's accompanied by the, the grace and peace uh, from God that is common in his greetings. As we walk through this chapter, um, I want you to notice a phrase, in Christ. Uh, in Christ is important. Um, Paul uses that phrase in, the, in this entire letter, in all six chapters, he uses that phrase 35 times. But in our passage this morning, we're going to see that phrase used 11 times. And so that also will help clue you in to those are one of the ways that we're to be identified in Christ, in him, right? So Ephesians, of, continuing on in verse 3, says this, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you're taking notes, the first part of your identity in Christ is that you are blessed in Christ. We're blessed in Christ. So how are we blessed in Christ? Uh, it says in the verse, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, right? Through Christ. Uh, the, this opening 
um, verse, this opening part here, kind of acts as uh, like an umbrella. These other things that we're going to see, these other ways that we're identified would fall under, as sp- listed as spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. Right? It's a blessing to be in Christ. It's a blessing to have salvation. It's a blessing to have received forgiveness in Jesus. We know that life is absolutely better because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross for our behalf. So have you ever asked somebody, um, how are you doing today? And had them respond, better than I deserve, right? Have you ever heard that? I'll tell you, you only, to me, I only hear that from Christians. I only hear that from uh, people that have that mentality, that I am better than I deserve. I am better off in Christ than anything I can deserve on my own. And so it's a blessing to be in Christ. Uh, I want you to notice one thing, though. It's kind of a, a cool wording here. Notice in the NIV, it begins with, in, in the beginning of verse 3, it says, Praise be to the God. However, the ESV, the CSB, uh, the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, those three versions all translate that as blessed. It's another word for praise. And so I, I, it's kind of a cool play on words that the NIV, I think, misses because we see it says this. It's like it's as if verse 1 says, Blessed be the God who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Notice that the three references, the repetition of the word bless and blessing. And so the opening idea here in this verse is for us to recognize, for us to have an attitude of praise and of blessing toward God for what God has done for us. Verse 4, as the passage continues, it says this, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, The second part of your identity in Christ is that you are chosen in Christ. You are chosen in Christ. You see, verse 4 tells us that we are chosen by God before the creation of the world. Um, Salvation isn't an afterthought on God's part, right? It was always part of God's plan. Um, God's plan and purpose from the beginning has been to draw humanity to himself through Jesus Christ. God had determined that all who would believe in Christ would be saved. You see, the term chosen in Scripture can be interchangeable with the term election. Uh, Both are used in Scripture, and both terms are used in the same verse in Mark 1320. Um, This term has presented difficulty uh, and and been highly debated over more than a past thousand years and and, and interpreting exactly by what God means by the words in Scripture. So we have kind of two ends of the spectrum um, of debate and any number of stances or combinations of that in between these two ends of the spectrum. One end says that God elected or chose some individuals to be saved entirely on his will, but in his plan he didn't elect all people, thus some are being sent to hell. And the other end of the spectrum is people who believe that God's election of individuals is based on his foreknowledge of who would believe in Christ for salvation based on their own decision. Uh, During this past year, Dr. Cox defined for our deacon body, during the process of even looking for a new pastor, he defined for our deacon body the traditional Southern Baptist view of salvation. And I quote him, it says, Election is God's eternal plan in Christ to save people who repent and believe. 
What I want us to focus on as believers in Christ, we probably won't resolve a a thousand-plus-year debate, but what I want us to focus on in Christ Jesus is to know that God has always had a plan for salvation, that God has always had a plan to save His people, that we have an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God who wants to have a personal relationship with the humanity that He created. You see, words like chosen and election and predestination, they all describe God's gracious work and His activity in salvation. That is our identity, that we're chosen in Christ. You see, the fact that we're chosen in Christ is uh, not just a privilege. We can see in this verse that it comes with responsibility, that it comes with expectations. If uh, we read verse 4 again, it says, For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. You see, we're chosen for a purpose. We're chosen so that our lives would represent who God is. And so uh, this verse tells us that uh, we're called to be holy, um, that our lifestyle should represent holiness. Um, To be holy means to be set apart. right? That's what God calls us to, to be holy. To be blameless means uh, to be without blemish. Right in the Old Testament, they had to find a, a sacrificial lamb that was perfect, that was without blemish. And that's using this same word. And this same word then is transcribed to us as Christ followers, as being chosen, that we're to be holy and to be blameless, to be without blemish. These words describe the moral purity and the righteousness uh, that we should pursue in Christ as we represent Him, as we go about our day, as we live our lives in a way that points others to God. Uh, Paul describes it this way in Philippians, in chapter 2, verse 15. It says, So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. God has chosen us and has given us the responsibility and the purpose to live for Him, and to be holy and to be blameless. As we continue into verses 5 and 6, here's how they read. It says, In love He predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will, uh, to the praise of His glorious grace that He was freely given us in the one He loves. The third part of your identity in Christ is that you are adopted to sonship in Christ. So that you're adopted to sonship in Christ. See, we become part of God's family. Uh, several places in the New Testament, it describes us as being a part of the family of God, of being a family of believers, heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. Uh, later in Ephesians, Paul will use fellow citizens of God's people, uh, members of God's household. But my favorite, four times in the New Testament, it calls us sons and daughters. Sons and daughters. Christians are sons and daughters of God. One example of this is in Hebrews 2.10 where God calls us sons and daughters. And in the same verse, he is describing the work of Jesus that he accomplished on our behalf. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, that's, that's us, 
It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, right? Everything exists through God, uh, should make the pioneer or the author of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. You see, uh, and the, the author of Hebrews is describing that we are sons and daughters of God because of the work of Jesus on the cross. See, we're no longer orphaned, we're no longer alone, but we're part of God's family. Have you ever seen one of those um, adoption videos where a child is, is told that he's being adopted by a family? And usually when you see those, those videos, the child is so excited and, and he, he feels this great sense of being accepted and being wanted and being loved. And, and usually those videos are filled with tears and, and with celebration. And, and um, that could be a perfect way to describe us as becoming part of the family of God. You see, we're his sons and daughters. We're adopted into him and his family. We're no longer orphaned. We're no longer alone. But we're part of God's family and adopted by our Savior. See, how is our adoption established? It's established by God's love. At the beginning of that verse, did you catch it? It said, in love. In love, God predestined us for adoption to sonship. Because of God's great love, um, he wants believers to be a part of his family, right? The Bible tells us that God is love. Um, the Apostle John describes it in 1 John 4, 9. says, this is how God shared or showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That's that holy and blameless, that we might live through him. Maybe one of the most well-known verses, John 3, 16. For God so loved, right? It's talking about God's love. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him uh, shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, his great love is what leads to our adoption in him. Uh, verse 6, then it, it tells us that it leads then to our response and, and praise for God's glorious grace. See, God's activity in salvation, uh, which leads to our adoption, should lead us to a response of praise, right? That declaration of praise. That's what this is as a doxology, is that declaration of praise and adoration to God. And if you notice in verse 6, it says, Praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given in the one he loves, right, in Jesus. And notice the one is capitalized in the one that he loves. God has freely given this to us. He was freely sending his son to die on the cross to give us new life. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. He freely gives it to us. Let's continue on in verse 7 and 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The fourth part of the identity that we have in Christ is that we are redeemed in Christ. We are redeemed in Christ. You see, we're redeemed in him in Jesus, in the One, in the Son, in the Messiah, in the Beloved. We are redeemed in Christ Jesus. 
So what does being redeemed mean? Redemption or being redeemed, it has its roots in the Old Testament uh, where it carries the idea of buying something back or releasing something. Uh, here's a couple of examples. Uh, Boaz redeemed the land um, belonging to Naomi's husband, and with it came the right to marry Ruth, right? Um, people, were sold, people who were sold into slavery uh, describes as being redeemed or bought by a relative. Uh, it describes God redeeming the nation of Israel, buying them back, right? Releasing them into freedom. It says of a, in a few places in the New Testament that we were bought with a price. Uh, Jesus says of himself that his life is a ransom for many. See, Paul uses this language in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6 says this, For there is one God, and one mediator between God and mankind, that is the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This is how, uh, this has now been witnessed to at the proper time. So you see, Jesus, he bought us, he ransomed us, he redeemed us, he, um, uh, on the cross, and this, and this verse says, through his blood. It was accomplished through his blood. Um, our salvation, um, you know, during during Old Testament times, they would have been common. They, you know, it would have been common for them to have seen sacrifices being made on the altar, and watching the the blood of that animal run down the altar and forgiveness of sins uh, being pronounced to them by the priest. But here. The blood that is redeeming us, the blood that Paul is talking about, is the blood of Christ. You see, he was sacrificed on the cross. And his blood ran down his body so that he could redeem us, so that he could buy us, so that he could be a ransom for us. See, the result of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross is our forgiveness of sins. See, we're no longer guilty but we've been released from the sin debt that we once carried. See, we're no longer in bondage or enslaved to sin, but we've been bought at the price of the blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. See, again, this redemption and forgiveness is because of God's grace. And here's Paul uses two words uh, in these verses, to describe God's grace. He uses the words riches and lavished. You see, God has a, a rich amount of grace. You know, for us, when we think about wealth or when we think about the word rich, if we think of a person who is rich, they have a lot of money, right? Well, the Bible describes God as being rich in grace, having a vast amount of grace, an enormous amount of grace, a huge amount of grace. And God, it says then uh, that he's not stingy with it, right? That he lavishes it on us, that he pours it on us, that he freely gives it to us. See, if you're sitting here today thinking um, that you don't deserve God's grace and that, uh, that God could never forgive you for the things that you've done, then I would encourage you to take heart. Because God is rich in grace and he lavishes it on us. And he is ready to be excessive and extravagant in giving you grace and showing you his love through the redemption of your sins 
by Jesus on the cross to give you forgiveness so that we can have new life in him. As the passage continues, down in verse 9 and verse 10, it says this, And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. You see, the fifth part of your identity in Christ is that you've been given the revelation of the gospel. That you've been given the revelation of the gospel. See, here Paul, in these verses, he calls it a mystery, right? A mystery is something that's uh, once been hidden but has now been revealed, right? It's now been made known. Uh, Do you ever watch those Uh, like cold case file shows or maybe a murder mystery uh, type show or movie. And you're always trying to figure out who did it and how did they do it, right? Um, Then you you watch in suspense trying to figure it out before the end. And then um, here's, you know, you got to wait for that breakthrough, that one piece of evidence that exposes who did it and exposes how it was done. Well, God's will, his plan, you see, was a mystery, Until Jesus was born as a baby on this earth, people didn't fully understand how God was going to be redeeming his people. When we think about the Old Testament, Abraham and Moses and David, they never heard the name of Jesus, but they put their faith in God's redeeming work. You see, the prophets in the Old Testament, they prophesied of a coming Messiah, but now people can see the new evidence. Right, The new evidence of Jesus is God's plan. Um, His plan's being revealed to those who put their faith in Jesus because of the the evidence, the things that they have seen. They've witnessed his life, right? They've watched the miracles. They've watched the things that Jesus has done. They've seen the people that Jesus has healed. And ultimately, they know about the resurrection. You see, apart from Christ, this mystery or God's plan of salvation would not be and could not be known. Verse 10 explains, again, that uh, that God has had a plan of redemption all along. That it's not a a new plan. That he's had a plan of redemption all along. And he's waiting for just the right time to unfold the plan. You see, we live in a time that theologians uh, have coined this term, the already but not yet. You see, we already have these blessings of Christ. We've been blessed and we're chosen and we're adopted and we're redeemed, right? We already have these blessings in Christ, uh, but we don't have them fully yet, as, it, as we'll see here in, in Scripture. Um, we're awaiting the return of Christ when He will come, and, and Scripture explains He'll put all things under His feet, and every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that hasn't happened yet, right? So Paul explains our current situation even later in this chapter in verses 20. He said, he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Later in in chapter 5, Paul describes 
that we're still living in the evil in this world. And in chapter 6, he describes that we need to be prepared for the spiritual battle around us. Why? Because Jesus is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we're waiting for him to return victoriously and restore and make new all things under heaven and on earth. In addition to us being given the revelation of the gospel, the sixth and the final thing that I want you to see this morning, the sixth part of your identity in Christ is that you've been given the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Listen to the final four verses this morning. Here, Paul explains that it's part of God's plan to include not just the nation of Israel, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles, for all people. And that salvation is for all people. Right? If you studied Ephesians, if you studied uh, other places, other, you know, numerous other books in the New Testament, you would see uh, that in at least a dozen places or more that Paul uh, felt this special calling to reach the Gentiles. And so here's what he says in these last four verses. Verse 11 says, In Him we. That we is, so notice in these verses, you're going to see the word we, and you're going to see the word you, and you're going to see the word our. Right, So in him, we were also chosen, referring to the Jews. Right, That was God's plan from the beginning, the, the nation of Israel, God's chosen people to reveal himself to the world. It says, in him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, still referring to the Jews, who were the first, right, they were the first to put their hope in Jesus, in Christ, uh, might be for the praise of His glory. In verse 13, and you, that's referring to the Gentiles, and you uh, also were included in Christ when you heard the word of, Troy, uh, of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Um, see the word our? That includes both the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. See, Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to know that the gospel, this is the message of truth, is available for everyone, the Gentiles included. So this faithful church that he said that he was writing to in verse 1, 2, or in chapter 1, verse 2, said to the faithful saints, that includes both Jews and Gentiles. There were Gentiles in this church that had already believed, that had already heard the message of truth, that had already trusted in Christ as their Savior. They had responded to the truth by believing in the gospel, Right? And those who believe by faith, then this, these verses go on to describe that we've been marked with a seal. You see, uh, uh, they were given the seal of the Holy Spirit that had been promised to them in the Old Testament. You know, a seal um, was often used with cargo or it was used with letters. Um, when, when the king sent a letter, uh, the letter would be uh, sealed up um, with wax melted on the edge of where the end of the paper ended and he would, he would stamp it with his ring. Uh, signifying that it was authentic, right? That it was real, that it was official, that it came from him. 
And they put a, a seal on the tomb of Christ to let, let others know that, you know that we're observing and watching this tomb. So a seal conveys authenticity. It conveys ownership. So this passage then describes that God placed His seal of the Holy Spirit inside of us to signify that we belong to Him. Verse 14 tells us that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Have you ever paid a deposit for something? Um, we paid a deposit back in January for a, a condo that we used this past July, this past summer, right? But we had to pay a deposit. Uh, that was a commitment that we would pay the balance, right? That would be good for the money. Um, it was like a, a down payment, right? Well, that's what uh, God says the Holy Spirit is, that the promise of the Holy Spirit to us is a deposit guaranteeing um, our inheritance. And so here's, here's what he says. The, promise, the Holy Spirit is a promise of our future inheritance where God will restore and redeem all things. Until then, the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's that deposit in us. We can trust God, right? And the Holy Spirit helps to guide us. The Holy Spirit uh, comforts us. The Holy Spirit speaks truth to us. The Holy Spirit, it describes in Scripture, sometimes gives us the words to say. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. Right? The Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our full inheritance as God's possession when Christ returns. It's only fitting that Paul ends this verse with these words, to the praise of His glory. He ends verse 14 that way. Again, I explained to you at the beginning that this is a doxology, a declaration of God's praise, right? And Paul uses this word in, in verse, uh, verse 3, um, four different times. We're going to see through this passage that Paul's giving praise to God. There in verse 3, um, he says, praise be to the God. In verse 6, he says, praise of His glorious grace. In verse 12, that might be for the praise of His glory. And then he ends in verse 14, to the praise of His glory. See, all throughout this doxology, Paul continues to point back to God, that we're declaring praise to God for what He's done for us. You see, in this doxology, we know that we're giving God the glory because of what He's given us through Christ, that we're blessed, that we're chosen in Christ, that we're adopted in Christ, that we're redeemed in Christ. That we've been given the revelation of the gospel in Christ. That we've been given the Holy Spirit in Christ. So Paul is praising God. He's reminding the church in Ephesus of what God has done for them. And those promises are true of us today. See, when life seems challenging, uh, when tragedy strikes, when Satan plants that seed of doubt in your head, when you lose your job, when you're dealing with sickness, when you, get, uh, when you don't get that promotion, or maybe even when you get that promotion, you remember that your identity is in Christ. That you're blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed, been given the revelation of the gospel, that you've been given the Holy Spirit. 
when you walk the halls at the school or when you go off to college, when you're seeking a future mate or maybe getting married, when you're moving to a new city, when you're looking for that new job, when you're finding your new friend group, remember that you and your identity is found in Christ. In Christ, you are blessed. In Christ, you are chosen. In Christ, you are adopted. In Christ, you are redeemed. In Christ, you've been given the mystery of the gospel. In Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. In Christ, we're called this morning to declare all praise and all glory to God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you. And we just stop to give you the praise and the glory for the blessings that you have given us, for the new life that we have in you. Father, we thank you that you have chosen us and that you've redeemed us. God, that you've sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, that we can have new life in you. Father, may it be our response this morning to stop and to give you the praise that you deserve, to to sing blessings to your name for what you've done, to give you the glory. Father, thank you for salvation. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, <clears throat> maybe you're sitting here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. This morning, you can be redeemed in him. God is ready to lavish. I mean, go crazy. Lavish his grace on you so that you can have new life in Him, so that you can be redeemed. He wants to buy you and ransom you this morning through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Won't you come? Maybe this morning uh, you want to join our church. You want to become part of our church family. Come forward. You can talk about that with me here. You can come out to the desk. I'll be out there at the welcome desk afterwards. Out the door is up to your left. Maybe you want to talk about getting baptized. This morning we have two students getting baptized in the 11 o'clock service. However God is asking you to respond, maybe you just want to give God the praise and the glory this morning, then come pray. Tell God how much you love Him. All right, but let's stand and sing.
encouragements for this morning and a couple of things to let you know about in the future. For this morning, I want to encourage you to get to a connection group. If you haven't done that already, uh, we can help you get uh, directed in the right way at the Welcome Center. Also remind you that you can place your offerings in the boxes as you exit. Uh, that's the way that we uh, are able to do the things that we do and the ministry impact that we're able to have in our community and the world is through your giving. So thank you for that. Uh, coming up, uh, Wednesday night, we have several new courses starting. One of those is a women's ministry uh, Bible study called Discerning the Voice of God. Is Pr Priscilla Shirer. That's what the hard to say. Priscilla Shirer study. Uh, that's happening Wednesday night and is also starting uh, during the uh, weekday on Monday, September 11th. But I want to uh, let you know, women, uh, that study on Wednesday night will start at 6 o'clock. Uh, instead of the normal time. All the other studies start at 6.30, but the women starts at 6 o'clock. Uh, then also, Parents' Night Out for Kids and Parents. That's a, a free night for you guys as your kids come and enjoy some activities at the church. And then our student retreat at Snowbird is coming up as well. So registration is, uh, is uh, online or at the deposit boxes for those events. Just want to make you aware of those. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father God, we thank you uh, that you have... Uh, lavished us with your grace, that you've uh, given us an identity in you, Father. And I pray that you would just uh, help us to uh, lean into and embrace uh, these truths about who you are and who we are in you, God. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for what Jesus has done on the cross for us, that we have a life and an identity in you. We thank you and love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A good father, do you are, do you are.